Worried Writer, helping you to overcome fear, self-doubt and procrastination to get the work done. I'm your host, Sarah Painter, and I'm a novelist and self-confessed worried writer. For show notes, resources and much more, please head to worriedwriter.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 45 of The Worried Writer. I'm recording this on Wednesday the 31st of October 2018, so happy Halloween to you all. After so many years with young children around, it feels really odd that I'm not doing some last-minute crafting on a costume or carving pumpkins with small people with knives. I have stocked up on sweeties, uh, just in case we get some geysers coming round. That's trick-or-treaters for any non-Scottish folk. Um, but last year, we ended up eating most of the sweets ourselves. I do love Halloween, though. It is officially the end of the summer, just in case you were in any doubt. It means we're going into the dark, cosy winter season of lighting the fire uh, and reading and drinking red wine. Not that I don't drink red wine the rest of the year, but it seems like I have an extra excuse when it's chilly. My guest today is Rachel Burton, who is an author of contemporary women's fiction. Rachel and I first connected as she was an early adopter of the podcast, and I was delighted to chat to her about her writing success. Rachel also suffers from a chronic illness, ME and fibromyalgia, and we talk about writing books under challenging circumstances. Hopefully there'll be some useful tips there um, if you have similar struggles. So just a quick writing update on my month. Um, As you might imagine, it has been pretty much entirely taken up with the launch of The Night Raven. So that came out on the 23rd of October, so just over a week ago. And the short version is that it went really well, uh, and I'm a very, very happy author. Thank you so much if you spread the word or bought a copy. I appreciate it so much. As you know, I'm always an absolute nervous wreck before and during publication, Um, but now it's out and the sky hasn't fallen in and I've had some good reviews. I'm so much happier and more relaxed. I also really enjoyed publication day. I had lots of uh, social media love and kind messages and it, it was just really nice. I'm trying really hard to properly enjoy the good moments, which is of course advice that I give out all the time and I'm fairly rubbish at taking it. And this publication day, I really felt like I managed it. Um, So that was really good, just on a personal note. Of course, um, there's still lots to do. Marketing will be ongoing, especially since I am the publisher as well as the author for this one. But it's really exciting to have it all under my control and to be able to try out all these things that I've been hearing about on things like the Creative Pen and the Science Fiction and Fantasy Marketing Podcast and from the SPF podcast and course. Being able to run a BookBub advert, for example, and then seeing exactly how many clicks led to sales rather than just wondering whether things are going well. The danger, of course, is that it's very easy to get completely obsessed with checking sales figures um, because it's so exciting being able to look at the dashboards and see things um, sort of daily or almost in real time rather than waiting to hear from my publisher. 
So I'm going to try not to get too obsessed, uh, but I will keep you posted on how well I do with that. The other great thing, which as you, you may know, it's the start of a new series and lots of people have said that they are excited to read book two, which is a massive relief. I did feel as if I was setting myself up to fall flat on my face. So yes, I'm just, I'm so happy and I'm so relieved. Anyway, if you are interested in a London-set paranormal mystery, um, which has been called My Favourite New Urban Fantasy Series, clever and twisty and deliciously magical, with a shivery sense of wonder that feels utterly grounded in its London setting, perfect for fans of Ben Aronovich, Genevieve Cogman or Robert Galbraith, by UK fantasy author and friend of this podcast, Stephanie Burgess. You can head to books to read forward slash the night raven for shopping options. I hope you don't mind that wee bit of podcast sponsorship because here comes a little bit more. You can support the worried writer via Patreon. If you go to Patreon or Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash worried writer, you can sign up to support the show for as little as just $1 per month. And supporters at the $2 and above level get an exclusive mini episode released in the middle of every month. There are eight audio extras already available, and another one will go up mid-November. I've answered patron questions and given writing craft tips, but I'm also open to suggestions, so do let me know what you think. Thank you so much to new patrons supporting me via Patreon this month. Hayley Whitehouse and Nadine Redmond. Thank you so much, I appreciate it. Uh, It lets me know that you truly value the podcast and want it to continue. And now, on to this month's listener question. I'm actually going to do two this month because I didn't do any last month. So first off, this one is from Karen Heenan uh, via Twitter. Thank you, Karen. Any chance you could talk about writing queries or synopsises? Synopses? Synopsises. I'm not sure. Synopses. I'd rather write a whole novel than try to boil it down to a few paragraphs. Well, Karen... You are so not alone in that feeling. They are really hard, but worth practicing as you will need to do them multiple times. Um, Back in the day, before I was or while I was submitting to agents after I'd done my master's, I know that I found Write a Great Synopsis by Nicola Morgan really helpful. I will put a link to the book in the show notes. Also, remember that the synopsis for an agent query needs to describe the main story entirely. Um, Its purpose is to show the agent or editor that there is a complete novel there and that it makes sense. A synopsis for the back of the book, however, or the sales page on Amazon, is a blurb, and that has a different purpose. Um, And that's to entice somebody to buy and read your book. So, of course, you wouldn't put a massive spoiler about the ending in there. Also different, but very useful, is a pitch. So this is really short, just a couple of lines, um, which sum up the tone and genre of your book, while providing a hook that will make the reader want more. Whether that reader is an agent, editor, reviewer, or potential book buyer. This is really useful to have on hand for dinner party conversation too, when people ask you what your book is about. 
My top tip, I would say, for writing a synopsis is very much to focus on the main storyline. You don't necessarily need to go into all of the subplots, and also to not worry too much about it sounding very boring um, when you first write it. Try not to worry too much that your book sounds boring, perhaps, or um, lifeless when you describe it in terms of just the plot points of the main story. Um, So try not to get too disheartened, I guess. But also check out that book and hopefully it will help. Okay, and now on to the second listener question um, that I want to get to this time. Uh, This question came in from Catherine Barbie. Thank you, Catherine. Catherine wrote... Last year, I was not a worried writer. I was a laid-back, quite-enjoying-this-writing-lark writer. Until I self-published my first novel, now I feel paralysed. I've been getting such lovely reviews on Amazon, and everyone is anxiously waiting for book two in the series, which I promised at the end of book one. Now I'm wondering whether I really just wanted to write a novel just to have achieved it and perhaps I'm not cut out to be a full-time writer after all. How did you know, after you got your first book published, that you wanted to carry on and keep writing? How did you know that you weren't just a one-hit wonder? And how did you get over second book syndrome? Thank you so much for this great question, Catherine. Um, And also, just to say, if anybody listening wants to check out Catherine's new book, massive congratulations to you for publishing that. That's fantastic. It is called Lift Your Eyes to the Mountains. And Catherine's quite right. She does have lots of fantastic reviews on there. Massive congratulations. That's brilliant. But on to your question. I really empathise. I had terrible second book syndrome. And if it hadn't been for the deadline and the contract from the publisher, I'm not sure how long it would have taken me to manage it. But on the plus side, I do think that what you're experiencing is exactly that. And it's made worse, weirdly, by the good reception of your book, because that's made you feel the weight of reader expectation. The fact that you've had some attention and some reviews has made it abundantly clear to you that you are getting attention, that you are being read. But since that's a result of you being a success, I want you to take a moment to celebrate that success. I bet pre-published Catherine would be thrilled to hear how well the book has been received. Now, of course, that's my gut reaction to what you've said, Um. I might be wrong, maybe you did only ever want to write one book, and that's fine. But the only way to find out is to write another one. The only way to find out if you are a one-hit wonder is to write and publish another book. The only way to get over second book syndrome is to write it and get on to book three. The only way to know if you genuinely want to carry on writing, or whether you just had one book in you and you've scratched that itch, is to carry on writing. You could stop, of course. If you truly believe that you are done and you want to stop writing, then I give you permission to do so. Make that decision and see how you feel. Either, once the pressure is off, you might find yourself missing your writing and thinking about your story and wanting to get back to it, or you won't, and that's fine too. So, a couple of tips for if you are in fact suffering from self-doubt and fear of judgment and fear of letting people down, which is what I truly think is going on here, um, lie to yourself. 
So this is easier pre-publication, but you can still do it. Tell yourself that you are writing for yourself and that nobody will ever read it. Ultimately, you don't have to publish it. So when you're working on your second book, tell yourself you're not going to publish it. Tell yourself you're just having fun. And also, take the pressure of this has got to be even better or this has got to satisfy reader X or Y or Z. Um, Try to put that to one side and remember that you're going to get better at writing because you'll be practicing it. I mean, that's just a given. But each book is going to vary and it will be received and enjoyed differently by readers. You can't control that. What is considered good is a matter of taste anyway. So you can't possibly make each book better in the eyes of every single reader. All that you can control is your own experience of writing, how much you enjoy it. Write for yourself. Write the book that you want to read or whatever it was that got you writing your first book. Try to tap back into that enthusiasm and inspiration. All you can do is write the best book that you can at the time with each book. I do hope that helps a wee bit and I would love to hear how you get on, so do keep in touch. Okay, if you have got a question you would like answered on the show, please do email me, sarah at worriedwriter.com or of course you can find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter or head to the show notes and leave a comment. Just before we get to the interview, I just want to give a quick shout out to some lovely folk on Twitter. There's Philippa Moore, who's at Philippa underscore Moore, Ray Cowie, who is at Ray underscore Cowie, Vanessa Lilly, who's at Vanessa Lilly, and Writer Mom Life, who's at Writer Mom Life, who recommended The Worried Writer on International Podcast Day. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. I really appreciate it. And thank you too for all your messages and retweets. I love the interaction we have, and I'm so grateful for your time. And now, on to the interview section of the show. Rachel Burton writes contemporary women's fiction, and her two novels, The Many Colours of Us and The Things We Need to Say, have been called thought-provoking, emotional, and uplifting. Rachel and I first connected as she was a listener of this show, and I am delighted to speak to her today. Welcome to the show, Rachel, and thank you so much for joining us. Hello, thank you for having me. Can you kick things off um, by telling us a little bit more about your latest release, The Things We Need to Say? Of course, yes. So um, The Things We Need to Say came out in May, um, and it's my second book, as you said. Um, And it's a story about what happens after the happily ever after. So um, rather than doing the sort of boy meets girl story again, as I did in my first book, I wanted to write a book about an established couple and what happens when um, life throws its inevitable curveballs at an established relationship. So um, the book opens on um, Fran and Will, who've been married for over a decade. And it's obvious from the start that something terrible has happened that both of them are trying to come to terms with. And I wrote it from both of their viewpoints. So chapters are written from Fran's viewpoint, chapters are written from Will's viewpoint, because I wanted the reader to see both sides of the story, to see how this event had affected each of them, because I didn't want 
anyone to take sides. I was trying very hard. I mean, you can never stop that, but I, I wanted to have a really balanced view of what was going on. So the reader could slowly start to piece together the full story of the marriage. And it's also um, in between the narrative are uh, little flashbacks of their relationship from when they first met, how they first met. And so you have this, you know, very romantic, we've just met and got married to today and what happened and how they got there. So I hope, I think towards the end, it becomes a bit of a will they, won't they get back together um, that keeps the reader guessing. But you've read it, so you <laughs> don't give away the ending. <laughs> it, it's certainly an emotional book. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> But it's um, it's just this this idea of um, how how romantic love becomes something else over time, uh-huh. and how how to maintain that, how to keep that, how to keep communicating, and keep mm. um, keep reminding yourself of what you had, despite all the stuff that comes along um, through life in general. So it's it, that's really what it's about. But it's also um, set on a very um, a very nice beach in Spain, which makes it a, a really good summary read as well. Um, so it's so yeah, it's it's got lots of different elements in it, lots more than my first book. I felt it was definitely more of a challenge to write because of the the different narrative viewpoints. I think. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Trying to write from a man's perspective is, is, was harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, keeping the separate voices as well, isn't it? It's, yeah. 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 And was yeah. that something that you worked on in revision? Yes, it uh-huh. was. It's something I worked on in revision and I've got to say um to give him his due my my other half did read um one of the later drafts and did did sort of veto a couple of sentences saying yeah, this isn't a man wouldn't think like this. It doesn't ring true kind of uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. which actually was really helpful to get a male perspective on the story to be honest with you. Um because you know most of my my circle of writer friends and beta readers are all are all girls, so it was it was it was good to get a little bit of male input on that because I think it is sometimes hard to get a genuine male voice mm-hmm, across. Mm-hmm. Well, I found it was anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so um, let's go back to the beginning. Did you always want to write, and what was the process of writing your first novel like? I always wrote. I'm not sure if. That really equates to always wanting to write. Um, like I kept a journal since I was about seven years old. Um, and I wrote, I was in academia for a long time. So I was used to writing long, uh, postgraduate dissertations and that kind of thing. Um, and I wrote a lot of, I did write a lot of nonfiction. Um, I'm a yoga teacher as well as a writer and I had a quite a successful yoga blog for several years, which I obviously wrote you know several times a week and I've written for yoga magazines I also used to write a local history column for a North London newspaper so I've done a lot of different kinds of writing I don't know what really started I can't tell you that there was like a blinding moment when I decided I'm going to write fiction um it just sort of just sort of happened really um and I had a few false starts there are several you know first chapters of all kinds of things on on my hard drive somewhere um, but the book that became my first novel started life in early 2014, I think. Um, and I messed around with it for most of 2014, 2015. And then 
in 2016, I sold my yoga business. Um, so I, had, I owned a yoga studio and I sold it for various reasons. And I started reading through this draft of this thing I'd been writing for two years and tore it apart um, because I thought it was dreadful. But I, I really liked the characters in it and the, the idea of the story that was there. And I spent the spring and summer of 2016 rewriting it into well, not what it became because it was then edited a lot, <laughs> but into the thing that I then sent out to um, to publishers and, and agents. Yes. And what was your path to publication? Well, I I had a bit of a spaghetti on the wall, right, you know, way of doing things. I kind of threw it out there to as many people as possible in the hope that um, someone would take it. So I sent it to both agents and publishers who accept un unagented work. So um, I sent it to Booker Chill, Harper Impulse, HQ Digital. Um, I think there was someone else as well. Can't remember. And then a lot, maybe 15 agents, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I did that all in one afternoon. Oh, right. I, just, <laughs> I just bombarded everybody in one afternoon. Um, I kind of thought, I'm just going to do it now while I've got the courage to do it. Because it had taken me a little while to pluck up the courage to to send it out into the world, yeah. So, um, so what happened after that was I got very quickly, rather scarily, a lot of rejections. A couple of agents wanting to read the full manuscript, but who then either wanted me to change it in a way that I wasn't comfortable with changing it, or they just said we we really like it, we like your voice, but it's not for not for us and. At the time, that's very disheartening. But now, knowing what I know now, I get it. Mm -hmm. um, it's very often, I've discovered, because they already have several writers on their books who write in that genre. Oh. So they they just feel that, you know, it, it's not about you. It's just about their work and what they're looking for at that moment in time. Like so many things, this is this industry is a right place, right time industry, I, I think. Um but anyway, so I then heard back from HQ Digital. Um, I was on a train on my way to Bristol when I got an email to say we'd like to see a full. So that was really exciting. Um, and I, so I sent the full manuscript, and a few days later they came back to me and said we'd like to um, we'd like to take you on. And so I I I had my first book actually without having got an agent so mm -hmm. i i got a i got a one book deal with hq digital at that point um and very quickly very quickly mm -hmm. i mean it happened it was incredibly quickly i sent out the oh, i sent it out in october october 2016 the whole thing happened very quickly actually because i sent it out in october 2016 hq got back to me towards the end of november and the book came out in the following april so the whole process was really like a whirlwind i didn't really know what was going on to be honest with that first book um but i so i did things a little bit backward because i got my book deal before i got an agent and then um what i did when hq had offered me this deal i then emailed the agents that i that hadn't got back to me to, to update them on what was happening that i'd been offered this deal um etc and i had a couple got back to me and wanted, you know, wanted to read the full at that point. And I, I signed with my current agent um, then. So I, I did that 
in February 2016. Mm-hmm. So they didn't actually represent me for my first book, but they took me on on the basis of the ideas that I had for my second and third book. So so that was and then they negotiated a deal um, with HQ again for further two books, mm. of which the things we need to say is the first one of that deal. <laughs> Excellent. So that so, yeah. was my little backward way of getting. Most people get an agent first. Mm. No, <laughs> but, but that I, was incredibly smooth. A lot of it was. Mm. It's not usually like that, uh-huh. and it didn't feel smooth. To be honest, I've got to say that it felt very like I had no idea what I was doing. Um, it, it wasn't. It's easy for me to say now. This happened. This happened. This happened. But it it didn't feel like that at all. It felt extremely overwhelming, like I was totally in, out of my depth. Um, so it, I think, I don't think there's an easy way of doing this. Just because something happens fast doesn't make it any easier, I think is what I'm, I'm trying no, to say. No, definitely. And in terms of writing that first novel, do you have any advice for anybody listening who's trying to finish? Because I think finishing your first one is super tough. Yeah, it is. The last two chapters of that first book seem to take a hundred years. You've just, all I can say is you've got to keep writing. You've got to believe that you can do it. Now I have a little, I do have one thing that I, and I did with that first book and I've done with all of my books is I write the end first. So when I plan a book, I know how it opens and I know the ending. The middle is a minefield. Anything could happen. Um, and when the going gets tough, which for me is usually around 40,000 words in, I go and write the end. I write the last 5,000 words. And then I've got something to work towards. Mm-hmm. With my first book, I knew exactly how I wanted to end. I had a picture in my head of that final chapter. And I'd had that in my head a long time, right back from when it was just you know, when I was just playing around with writing, I'd always had this picture of this final scene in my head. So I had this, so I wrote it, and then I had this this thing to work towards, this, this goal, like a kind of light at the end of the tunnel, I guess. Um, I, I'm not a great, I'm not a huge believer in necessarily writing the book in order because um, some scenes are harder to write than others. Some need extra research. Sometimes you might be waiting to hear back from someone who's giving you some information about a scene, particularly if you're doing something that involves, you know, like a hospital visit or some kind of medical problem or something like that. You you, you do have to ask people for help. Um, so just leave it. Just say, just type something like, this is the chapter where this happens and move on. Because I find that if you're going to get stuck, with writing, if you're going to get blocked, if you're going to like not know where to go, it's at those points, those chapters that at this moment you don't want to write them. Well, they they seem really hard, so don't don't sit there just looking at them, hoping that they'll write, they'll miraculously write themselves. Just move on, write the next bit, keep keep flowing, keep going, because otherwise you will get stuck. And I I do think that I do think you've just got to keep at it. Reg- little and often is probably my best. Uh, you know, I don't believe you have to write every day or anything like that or write huge swathes of words. But little and often, I think, helps because it gets you into the habit mm, of definitely. putting words on the page. And it doesn't really matter because, you know what, a lot of those words will get edited out anyway. So get them down. Get that first draft done so that you've got something to work with. 
Mm. Um, That's good advice. But yeah, it is it is hard to get to the end. So make your end somewhere you want to get to. Excellent. (laughs) Very good advice. And in terms of the sort of nitty gritty of your process, what's your what's your writing life like? Do you work Monday to Friday? Do you do this full time? Well, when I was writing the first book, I was working Monday to Friday. Um, And as many people are, I wasn't full time, but I did go into work every day. Um, so I was fitting in the writing around my work. Um, often for me, it would be when I came home in the afternoons, I'd have a couple of hours then when I could I could get some done. Um, the writing and editing process of that first book was mostly fitted in around other responsibilities. Um, I have I am now pretty much a full time writer. Um, I'm not teaching yoga at the moment, but I that's a temporary thing. Um, so I will be going back to that. But again. You know, you're making your own hours with both those jobs, so it's um, you, you can really choose as and when you work. That said, I'm not sure I get any more words down a day. <laughs> now I'm sort of having now I've got great swathes of time than I did when I had two hours in the evening. Um, I think when you've got a, a very little bit of time, you're very good at making sure you use that productively. Whereas now I do all sorts of I don't know, scrolling through Instagram, staring out the window, standing on my head, that kind of thing, um, rather than write. There are days when I I will do anything rather than write. You know, when you know you're like cleaning out the shower, you know, things have got bad. (laughs) Goodness sake, sit down and write. Um, I don't think there's any right and wrong way of doing things. For me, being at home, I write at home. Um, I don't write in coffee shops or anything like that. I write in my little box room um, at home and and I'm on my own most days. Um, my other half works away quite a lot as well and I'm absolutely fine with that. I'm I'm an introvert. I like spending time on my own. I love my own company. I'm the sort of person that has to be forced. Go and interact with other people, Rachel. <laughs> um, but we're not all like that and I, I know, you know, a lot of people are, you know, really thrive of being with other people and being in amongst other people. So I know a lot of writers, even if, you know, they could give up their day job, but they don't because that's how they, that's where they get their energy. That's where they get their creativity. Whereas for me, being full time in an office, for example, would just zap me so much of energy that I couldn't work um, uh-huh. on my book as much. Mm-hmm. So I think um, one of the the most important things um when you're, you know, you're starting out to write and trying to decide how you want to do your writing day, how you want to work this. Obviously, there's income and, and what you need to survive or what your family needs you to bring in. But also, you know, even if that wasn't a factor, think about you and what you like. We all have this kind of romantic vision of the writer sitting in their attic writing his beautiful works. But for a lot of people, that is actually a nightmare. They're, they don't want to, you know. So really, I think you've really got to be quite self-aware, I think, to do this job, um, especially when it comes to working out how how you work your days and how you want to work. I don't know anyone who works in the same way, really. Everyone I know who who, who is a writer seems to write very differently have a very different 
Mm. Um, you know, I don't have children, so I don't have to fit my writing in between school drop-off and pick-up, for example. Um, I have a lot of friends with small children who are like, okay, it's the summer holidays now. That's okay, six weeks, I'm not going to be writing. And, you know, so you really do have to, everybody's life is different. So you have to work with the thing that best fits with you. Because if you're not content and you're not getting your creativity fixed and you're not filling up your own cup, your own well of creativity, you're not going to be able to write. So you really do have to. And and it does take some, um, you know, false starts to get there, you know, and, and have a, you know, that kind of introspection, I guess, to really think about what works for you and what doesn't. Um, but I think it's a very useful exercise because what I, I know for me, once I really admitted, actually, I work best when I'm shut away on my own and I don't have any interaction with human beings. Um, that's that's how I work best. When I when I did that, I found that actually I could things flowed a little bit better rather than me trying to force it in. At times, I, I didn't want to do it or trying to do it in coffee shops when it was just noisy and there's people everywhere. And mm. But I know people who can't not write in a coffee shop, uh-huh. you know, so you, it really is that sort of finding yes. out what works for you. Yeah, no, that's a good a good advice. And self-knowledge, as you say, and also, as you say, trying things, but not yeah. being hard on yourself if they're not for you. Yeah, because um, I mean, I knew so many people who wrote in coffee shops. It seems such a <laughs> cool thing to do. I know that sounds really sad, but actually... When I when I did it, it was just like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? Why are people driving me insane? And then you just decide that. Well, I have I have quite a bad back and um and sort of joint pain issues. So I find sitting in a coffee shop, I quite like it for a wee while, and it has worked for me in small stints. But I wouldn't be able to do it all the time because ergonomically, you yes, know, I would course. need to That's bring. So, you thing. know, it's just I would just be broken. <laughs> So, but um, speaking of doing things that suit yourself and knowing yourself and also energy and, and different lives, um, I hope you don't mind me asking you, but I, I am aware that you also suffer with a, a chronic illness. And I was wondering if you wouldn't mind talking a wee bit about being a writer as well as having a chronic illness. Of course not. No, I'd be happy to talk about it. So I have um, ME mm-hmm. and fibromyalgia. So I do suffer from um, chronic pain issues as well. So that that sort of idea of everything having to be perfectly ergonomic is also something I do have to consider. Um, you know, I do have to make sure I'm sitting in the right chair. Um, I also have to take very regular breaks. I can only write for a little bit of time um, and then I need to sort of get up and walk around the room um, because otherwise I sort of get stuck in a chair shape for the rest of the day, you know, if oh. I do more than about an hour without a stretch, um, I do find that I'm sort of like uh, stuck like Mr. Burns by the end of the day. Um, so uh, so from that point of view, yes, obviously working from home works much better because I have my set up and my ergonomic keyboard and that kind of thing. Um, but in terms of energy levels, that, that has been hard. It's hard to... Um, Oh, to to work out when you can and can't write because obviously with a lot of chronic illness like ME, one of the biggest problems is brain fog, and when your brain you, when your brain is all foggy, concentrating is hard. Focusing on something for long amounts of time is difficult. So when I was writing my first book, and this is this is advice for first 
books, I think, because you, you do have unlimited time. There is no rush. And I'm, I always say as people writing your first book, enjoy that. Enjoy that because once you're writing the contract, you, you, you don't have that time to daydream while you're writing. But um, I gave myself a limit of um, 300 words five days a week, which doesn't sound like very much at all. But 300 words adds up over time and will eventually become a novel. But also often um, if I was feeling really tired when I came in from work, I didn't want to do it. I really didn't have the energy. I just wanted to lie on the sofa. It's like I'll do 300 words and often I do 500 um, because for me, and this isn't true for everyone I know, but for me, making up my characters and living in my little imaginary worlds, it helps me. It nurtures me. It, it does help energize me. Creativity helps energize me. Um, there are times when I'm not well enough to work at all, but I do find that, that even if I'm just writing a few notes about a character or um, I do like CVs for all my characters, you know, what their likes and dislikes are, um, where they went to university, stuff the reader doesn't need to know, but that really helps me build a character. I can just do little things like that in my notebook. And, and it, I, I find that, that that kind of creativity really does help me, um, helps my illness, helps me find a little bit of energy and joy. And, and there's a lot of, with chronic illness, there can be a lot of feeling Feeling bad for yourself, bad about yourself, um, feeling that you're not adequate enough. Um, you compare yourself to other people who aren't ill and you look at the word counts that they do and, and you just think, I'll never be able to do that. And no, you won't because you're comparing apples and oranges. You can't compare yourself to someone who, who has, who doesn't have the same setbacks as you, the same kind of problems that you have health, whether they're health or otherwise, really. I mean, that goes with everything. None of us are the same. But um, so it, it can be very disheartening. And sometimes you can feel like, oh, I'm not good enough for this because of my health issues. But I find if you can just do that little bit, if it's 300 words or it's just developing a character in your head or um, dreaming up a new scene or describing the cafe that your characters are in or something like that, you know, what are the color of the curtains, what color of the tablecloths? It can really give you that little jump start you need to feel better about yourself as well and feel, oh yeah, I can do this actually. I, I really, I really can. So I, I find that was the most helpful thing to me when I was writing my first book. And then once you are at the place where you're getting an agent, you're going out on submission, you've been signed to a publication, you know, you've been signed to a book deal. Be honest with everyone. Um, I think that. I think that we can we want to hide our chronic illness sometimes we think that people will judge us we think that um people will you know I think we're not capable of, of doing it but I found that when I was honest with my with my editor and my agent and I said this is this is how it is sometimes I'm going to have to ask for an extension sometimes I'm going to have to take some time out they were absolutely fine with it and mostly 99% of the time people are fine with it and that 1% who aren't fine with it well you don't want to work with them anyway so you know mm. you're doing yourself a favor by being honest and it is hard I know how hard it is to be honest I know how how hard it is to admit to any kind of Achilles heel but personally I think you have to 
because it establishes good working relationships and it helps both you and your editor and your agent know the timings of things, when they can get the next book out, when they can expect to hear from you. You know, it just sets realistic expectations. Um, and I think that for me was a bit of a, an eye-opener that, that things got better when I was actually honest and said, I can't do this, I can't do this deadline, I'm not going to be well enough to, to fit that in and all the other things I have to do. Oh, no, that's excellent advice. And in terms of um, managing energy, is that something that now now that you're working within the home and you've got more control over your days, um, is, some, is that something that's got easier or do you find that you pile pressure on yourself? Um, I think it has got easier. I think I have... Um, but that is simply a case of experience and trial and error. Okay. Um, I used to be really, really, really hard on myself. Everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be done yesterday. Um, and I have to admit that I had a, a quite a severe relapse earlier this year, towards the end of last year, beginning of this year. Um, it, even my dad was a bit like, I haven't seen you this ill for a while. Are you okay? And my dad's like, never notices anything. Um, so... <laughs> So it, we, you know, I, that was a bit of a wake up call. And since then, I've been working really hard on being kinder to myself, on not setting unrealistic deadlines, on being honest with the people around me about what they can and can't expect from me, um, and about not not taking on too much either. Um, so, for example, when I when I'm on a sort of deadline, and I have to say my publishers have been brilliant, and my deadlines are never ridiculously short. Like, I hear some people, I have to do this structural edit in a week. I'm like, what? <laughs> really? How? But, you know, I get, you know, I work out a time scale with everyone before we begin. So I know that I've always got plenty of time. But I also know that in this period, I will be doing my structural edit and I probably won't be able to think about very much else mm -hmm. during that time because they are hard. And, um, and so... It, I've really had to learn um, to, to manage my time and energy like that and, and not to be so hard on myself. But again, it's, it's trial and error. It's a learning curve. I really think it's, it does come with experience. You know, someone could have told me 10 years ago, you really must be kinder to yourself, Rachel, and not put so much pressure on yourself. And I wouldn't have listened. Uh -huh. You, you work it out for yourself. I think when, mm. when you, when you have to. Um, and I think that's, just nature i mean perhaps not everybody is as stubborn as me perhaps people are more accepting <laughs> i don't know but if you're stubborn like me it doesn't matter how much advice people give you you probably won't listen anyway <laughs> but yeah i have found that this year since starting to feel better um getting back into the book i'm writing um that i have i have felt that i've been more able to manage everything and certainly working at home um has helped that for me uh -huh. Oh, that's good. And um, in terms of priority, do you find it helpful or do you um, sort of prioritise? I think we, I mean, we've all got a certain amount of energy. <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. Um, so do. do you, how do you find balancing, I guess, the, the writing and then all the stuff that goes with publishing and marketing and <sighs> social media and all this of that? This is the bit they don't tell you, isn't mm. it? This is the bit where um, you think you can just write, but there's a lot more to it than that. I try to set myself times when I'm doing things. I will admit now I prioritise my writing above most other things, um, apart from sort of washing and feeding myself. I do these days prioritise my writing. I will write before I do admin or anything like that. 
um, I will usually have not a specific goal in mind, but an idea of where I want to get to before I, before I take a break. Um, I know the times of day when I work best. I t- tend to work best from sort of, I'm not, I'm, ne- I'm neither an, a lark or an owl. I'm a sort of in between bird. So I work from kind of, um, 10 till 12 and then one till three, something like that. And I leave. I do a little bit of social media. If I've got a book out, I'll do a little bit of, um, kind of Twitter, Facebook stuff first thing in the morning. And then I leave a lot of the admin, like answering emails, um, that kind of thing until sort of two thirty, three 3 o'clock, 3.30 time, because I, I don't feel I need to be quite as on to do it. I don't need to be um, quite as focused or in the zone to do it. Mm-hmm. So I find that I can do it then before I finish for the day. Um, is, is a better time for me to do it because I always think if I do it when I first sit down at my computer at sort of 9 30 10 o'clock I'm a bit I can get too embroiled in it and and then they'll reply and I'll say <laughs> but if I do it and then turn off my computer I won't reply until tomorrow um so I I found that that's helped me mm-hmm. um, but I do I have to say I do prioritize my writing and I'm not brilliant at keeping on top of this particularly See, I used social media long before I was a writer, and and when you when you kind of got chronic illness, and you, it's kind of a bit. But I've always found it a little bit of a lifeline. I've met some really wonderful people through Twitter and Instagram, and they're they're my friends in my phone. <laughs> and so I I kind of have found it really hard to turn that into a marketing mm. thing as well. So I'm perhaps not as on the ball as I should be about that kind of thing. But there's very mixed feelings about what you should and shouldn't be doing when it comes to social media marketing. So mm-hmm. I tend to just be like, oh, I'm on day 7,000 of this edit. And, pe- and just, you know, just people your know that I'm you. writing oh. another book then. Yeah. See, so, yeah. like, oh, at least she's writing another book. Good. <laughs> we look forward to that one being finished. It'll never be finished. Um, but, you know, it's, I do, I don't, I, I do the kind of you know Amazon links every now and then, or or if it, if a book goes into a deal, something like yeah. that. But I've, I've got to say that I don't. I've got to admit that I don't really prioritise it as much as perhaps I should. Yeah. Other writers that will give you better advice about this well, than me. I I'm think, not the I think, person. <laughs> no, I think I think the advice to prioritise your writing is personally. I think that is the best advice. So a writer once told me, um, it's Tracy Buchanan, actually. Um, said to me that the biggest marketing tool any writer can do for themselves is to write the next book. So that's what I'm doing. I'm writing the next book. And it's and Twitter's somewhere I go to go, I can't finish it. It's terrible. I'm setting it on fire. Um, as anyone who follows me on Twitter will know um, that I'm the one who's always setting her book on fire. Um, but I think that, yeah, it's prioritize the right. If you want to, if you want to write, write. If you want to be a social media marketer, be a social media marketer. I'm not sure that I've got the brain. I certainly have the brain capacity for both. No, that so. makes sense. <laughs> and I think that's probably very reassuring to lots of people listening who don't really want to do both. I don't even know how well it works. No, nobody I, does. I honestly don't. I have, nobody seems to know anything. So it's like a, some sort of mystery of the universe. So... I kind of leave it alone. Speaking of mysteries of the universe, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, is there anything that you wish you'd known before you got published or anything that surprised you about becoming a published author? Structural edits. <laughs> Structural oh, edits. I wish listeners could see the look that just crossed your face. <laughs> I hate them. Oh, um, they are tough. So this so is tough. what happens when you write a book. You write your book and you think, you think it's, I'm going to send this out. This isn't so bad. And maybe you've had some beta readers read it and they're like, oh, I really enjoyed it. I really love this character. And then you get, you know, all your rejections. And then you get an agent and then you go on submission and then you get your publisher and you're like, this is brilliant. This is amazing. It's like all my dreams are coming true. And then the publisher says to you, we love your book. We love it so, so much. We're so, it's so fantastic to have you on board. Please change everything about it. And that's just structural editing. <laughs> now, I, I am being very, very harsh on editors here. Um, and that's your editor knows how to turn your manuscript into a book. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing. There is nothing wrong with your manuscript. It's just not ready to be a book. It needs work. And I don't actually believe a book is ever finished. I still look at my first book and I'm like, I wish I'd put this in or I wish I'd given the hero more of a voice or, you know, that kind of thing. Because my first book is written from a um, first-person perspective, from the female male ca- main character. And um, after writing my second book where I had both the the sort of hero and heroine having a voice, I was like, mm. I wish I'd given Edwin a voice in the first book. So, you know, you're never, you're never done. But I found that, while I do still dread them and I do know now that I have to tear my book apart again uh-huh. and put it back together and that's part of the process, I really wasn't – I had no idea that mm-hmm. that was part of the process when it first happened. I knew there would be things that they might want to tweak. I knew there would be how style to deal with and all that kind of thing. I had no idea I was going to have to take out the entire middle and write something completely new. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that I kind of wish I'd known a bit more about. And maybe other people do, and I was just hopelessly naive when I went into it. I'm not sure. It was sobering, the, to say the yes. least, the amount of work that the first book had. It certainly had, stops, but, your, uh, mm. stops your ego getting too carried away. But I, looking back on it, though, I, I think that I basically learned how to write a book through that process. Absolutely. So my second book was difficult for other reasons, but the structural edits were nowhere near. They were still structural edits, so they were still, you know, extensive, but they were nowhere near as as full on as the first book. And again, after that, it's varied from book to book. Absolutely. So I had two rounds of structural edits for my first book. Uh And by the time it was, I finished that second round, I was like, wow, this is, not only is it a completely different book now, it tell, told the same story and no, no, had the same characters, but it was just a different book. It's better. They were right. Mm-hmm. And they are. Your they editor are. Is, yeah. is nine, you know, 99.9% of the time your editor is right. And so I, I just, I, I learn about the three act structure. Um, I learn about the scenes within each of those acts. I learned about character arcs, um, the, you know, the main character's journey, story arcs. And I, I, I knew about this stuff. I'd read books about this stuff. But it wasn't until someone actually sat down and helped me mm-hmm. that I actually got it. And that really, really helped my second book. Structural edit for my second book. There was one thing that me and my editor didn't agree on. 
And I will say this now, if it's something that really makes you feel uncomfortable, you don't have to do it. Your structural edits are just, they're guide, they're guidelines. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not, they're not set in stone. And when I actually said to her, I cannot do this, this character, I just can't. She was actually fine with it. Mm -hmm. um, but actually my second lot of structural edits, it had one round and they weren't anything like as extensive as my first. My third, which I'm editing at the moment, is somewhere in between, I think, because my editor suggested putting something into it, which is quite small, but will make a huge difference. But that it's like a house of cards now, and someone's just taken out the bottom card. Um, because this thing that we're putting in threads its way through the whole yes. book. So it has been quite an extensive edit. But for but for very it's a lot of work, but for very different reasons. The structure of the book is staying the same so I think you will get your first round of structure edits and you will want to cry because you it's awful but what I find and what I still do with structure edits is I read them through and then I close the email and I don't come back to it for two to three days by which time everything's settled in my brain and I read it through again and go yeah I can do that there yeah I can do that and it, you realize that actually part of you's already been thinking along the same lines anyway um, but yeah, I kind of wish I'd had more of a bit, a more of a warning of what a structure <laughs> it was. Well, everyone listening, <laughs> consider yourself warned. <laughs> yeah. uh, the first lot is like setting fire to your manuscript yeah, <laughs> and starting absolutely. again. It's, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. So to finish up, you just said you just got to the edit stage with book number three. So I assume yes. that's what's next for you. That's, that is what's next. Um, it's called The Pieces of You and Me. And it should be out early spring 2019, I think. Fantastic. And just to finish up, where can people find out more about you and your books online? Okay, so um, you, I've got a website which I blog on once a week about some aspect of writing or chronic illness. Um, and actually going back to the chronic illness thing you're asking about, I meant to say this, but you're asking about you know tips for other people. Um, if you go to my blog, um, on my website, I have a post there that um, is quite popular, which is little hints and tips for writing when you have chronic illness, um, if you want to go back to that. So, yeah, do put a link to that. But my, my website is rachelburtonwrites.com. Um, otherwise, um, I am either on Twitter or Instagram as at bookish underscore yogi. And um, I am on Facebook, but I'm not if that makes sense. There's an author page, but I'm really bad at updating it. I'm not Facebook's biggest fan, but Twitter and Instagram are my my places where I hang out. So come say hello. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been lovely to speak to you. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening today. For show notes and links, head to worriedwriter.com. If you'd like to connect, find me on Twitter Sarah R. Painter or use the hashtag WorriedWriter. See you next time.